Hi, and welcome to Daily Dose Dunny. This is episode 11. If you're interested in working or studying abroad, then this episode is for you. I'll be talking to one of my old friends who's currently based in Seoul, and we'll be comparing life in Hong Kong and Korea. We'll also be discussing why we decided to move from the US to Asia and South Africa to Asia, and what you can expect if you are interested in moving abroad and wanting to curate a life in Asia. We'll also be talking about CSR and how to better integrate your CSR into your marketing going forward into 2021. So join us as we discuss curating life abroad. Today I'm talking with a close friend who I met back in Seoul a few years ago. She is sassy, passionate, kind, and has the blondest natural hair I've ever seen. Today we will be chatting about curating life abroad, from taking the leap to building a career, studying abroad, and living life as an expat. So Eva, so glad to be chatting with you today. Give us a short intro on what you are currently up to in Seoul. Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, well, I am a professor living abroad in Seoul, South Korea, and I'm also a corporate social responsibility um, expert as well. And I work in universities and I work with executives building um, uh, different CSR uh, initiatives, and uh, I've been living in Seoul for about eight years. Awesome. And tell us, where are you originally from, and why did you decide to go abroad? (laughs) So I am originally from Chicago, Illinois, in the United States. Um, I'm from the North Shore, so a little bit outside Chicago from a town called Wilmette. And I decided to first come to Korea a long time ago, about eight years ago, initially right out of college because or university because I just wanted to travel between grad school Um, I knew I wanted to go to grad school but I wanted to take a year or two off and Korea seemed like a really good fun place where you could make some pretty decent money and some travel opportunities while you're already on this side of the world and meet some really cool like-minded people. So I decided to come here and I haven't left. (laughs) (laughs) Don't I know the feeling. So why don't we tell everyone how we met in Seoul? Do you want to tell them? Sure. Well, from my understanding, you know, it's like it can be you're like how did we meet it's we met through mutual friends um we have some mutual friends and the expat community in seoul is quite it's not that big right so uh we just met through some mutual friends i actually forget the first night we met like do you know was was it at an event or i know we met through caroline yeah. and them but i actually don't remember i don't remember i really don't i really don't remember so <laughs> that's embarrassing okay. i absolutely adore you yeah don't remember you, you know what though <laughs> it's very common like because everybody knows yeah. everybody through something so you're like i probably exactly. saw you at a few events and then somehow we just kind of became friends through there Exactly. And connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's why I love living abroad so much is you're just constantly meeting awesome people from around the world. And like recently, as you know, I, I was in the States and it was so nice to catch up with friends there that I probably wouldn't have met unless I lived abroad being from South Africa. Right? So I just love that you can like travel literally anywhere in the world and have a friend I, there. Or I know. I, I absolutely love it. 
like I I mean I never met a person from South Africa before I left the United States so it's you know yeah oh, wow. it's, incre- yeah. it's incredible that <laughs> I'm even friends with people from you know all over the world and my husband is British Irish don't know if I would have ever met him so um yeah abroad is really wonderful I, I definitely agree. I think it's opened my mind in so many positive ways. Um, but I do admit that I, I often find like because I've lived abroad for almost a decade now, I really can't imagine going back home, to be honest. Like I feel like my home is everywhere abroad. Yeah. Except for home where I'm from. Yeah, I would agree. So um, I've really become so comfortable with living abroad and I've become so happy with my lifestyle here that when I go back, I actually have, and I'm sure that this happens to you too, called reverse culture shock, mm-hmm. where you go back home oh, and you're like, wait a minute. Like you almost forget some of the things that you used to do in the States, for example, like we don't tip in Korea, like it, like in the States, you have to tip when you go to a restaurant. So we don't tip in Korea, but, uh, you know, when I first went home, I forgot that I had to tip my restaurant and I like left the restaurant and then quickly (laughs) realized and had to run back in and apologize to my server and explain everything. So, yeah, so just just little things, but, um, living abroad is so fun and it's challenging. And, um, there is like a, always like a rotating community of people. There's always people coming and going. So that can be very difficult for some people, but that really like a constant and that's something that you have to balance. Mm. But I think it's really worth it because then you gain friendships all over the world. Exactly. But I know it's so what you mean. Like I remember flying back home for a bit and because in Korea, you sort of bow your head a little bit out Mm -hmm. of respect, you know, when you say bye or hi, um, in a way. So I ended up going home and bowing a bit to everyone. I was like, oh, this is so awkward. Like, why am I doing that? Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. But yeah, and then after like two weeks back home, I was like, I could not wait to get back to Seoul because that reverse culture shock thing was a thing. Like suddenly everyone's speaking English around me. I feel really overwhelmed. Like I miss just being in my little bubble in Korea where I don't necessarily know what people are saying around me. Like I'm just sort of, you know, the the expat, like, you know, roaming about yes. doing my thing. And, and and the safety. Obviously I miss the safety. But um but yeah, I couldn't wait to get back to Seoul. So Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's another thing that people speaking a foreign language, like when you're always around people that aren't speaking your same language, you tend to tune it out and you tend to be in your own world. And then when you go back to your home country, everybody's speaking your language. For me, English, right? So everyone around me is speaking English and my ears are so sensitive to other people's conversations because we don't normally hear English around us, right? In Seoul, so exactly. we're like, this is really overwhelming. I keep hearing people's conversations exactly. and I don't want to. <laughs> exactly I totally know what you mean so we both have lived in Korea for such a long time now how would you sum up life in Seoul um life in Seoul is really wonderful and Seoul is really beautiful it's very fast-paced and it's very crowded um there's people around you all the time but I would also say it's very organized um living in Seoul is uh like Koreans are uh like 
really abide by rules and laws. So it's very safe and very organized. And uh, everything is also very, very, very convenient. I would say Seoul is the city of convenience. You can get anything that you want at any time, at, at any time. time of day. Exactly. Everything is open and it is extremely, extremely safe. I have never once felt unsafe living in, in my eight years living in Korea. It is extremely safe to be here and um, yeah, safe and convenient and fun. That's how I would describe, that's 100%. how I would sum up life. 100%. Well. And surprisingly, yeah, surprisingly moving to Hong Kong, like about, I think it's a year and a half ago now, Hong Kong isn't as 24 hours as Korea. And I was shocked because I imagined Hong Kong to be a bit more of a 24-hour mm. city, but nothing compared to Korea yeah. at all. Like things close, it's definitely more of a British influence here and more a bit more Western in that sense and obviously a lot more English. But I miss that whole 24-hour coffee shops and 24-hour eating and like I definitely miss that about Korea. Yeah, 24-hour sure. nightlife. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and that well that not much. yes we faded, we faded out of that that's a, that, that part is gone <laughs> but it was really fun when we were younger oh yes hundreds so as we're on the topic about what we love about korea could you give me your top favorite things you love about korea and your top five worst things about living so in Seoul? i think that my top five favorite things would probably be the public transportation system which i know sounds can sound a little bit boring but truly you can go anywhere very conveniently and on time with public transportation in korea um everything is very convenient and extremely cheap um being from the states a lot of times we have to rely on cars which are really um bad for the environment for one and traffic and expensive right but in seoul I've never had to use a car and nor would I ever want to use a car in Seoul because public transportation mm -hmm. is so convenient. I could take the bus and get there faster than if I would to have taken a car. So that's one of my favorite mm -hmm. things. And then also the convenience of everything. Um, there's literally convenience stores everywhere, but um, everything is for example, if I need to, if I, I wake up in the morning and I, and I don't feel well, I can just go to the doctor. I don't necessarily have to make an appointment. Um, there's, and it's very inexpensive, right? So that's another one is healthcare. Uh, I really love the healthcare here and the convenience. Um, and, you know, all of the services that even as foreigners, we are given because we pay into the systems. So, it's really nice being a foreigner and being treated so well here with the healthcare and, you know, all of the, you know, social, social welfare things that we get. Um, the next, I would say, I really like the nightlife. The nightlife is so much fun. Well, now with Corona, not so much, but in the past and of course in the future, really fun nightlife bars are open all the time. Um, Korea does is like the number one country that, uh, drinks were like the number one drinkers and I'm not really that big of a drinker but I'm extremely social so I really love uh, all of the fun nightlife and things that you can do for example like karaoke bars you know noribong or singing rooms um, lots of other fun things and then last I would say I really like the people Koreans are 
are so welcoming and they're really friendly and very, very respectful most of the time, like 99% of the time. And um, yeah, those are all the things. So I like public transportation, convenience, healthcare, nightlife, and people. And then the five worst things, I'd say the top one is the, is the pollution. There's a lot of air pollution um, in Korea, which can be really harmful, right? to other people. And then of course, sometimes the language barrier can be really hard. And of course you should learn Korean, but Korean is an extremely difficult language to learn. And, um, you know, my Korean sometimes isn't good enough to get across everything that I need to say. So I'd say, um, yeah, definitely the language barrier that too. And then just, I think I'm over it, but I think there are small little cultural things that you get that are very difficult when you first come to Korea, for example, like personal space. That was really hard for me to get over. Um, in Korea, people often will like push past you or do something like that on the subways. Danny, I'm sure that you were also bothered by this, right? And in, yeah, in, 100%. in, in the Western <laughs> countries, if someone touches you on accident or pushes past you, they would usually say, excuse me, but they don't do that here in Korea. And when I first moved here, that was really difficult for me to get over because I just felt like it was very, very rude. But in Korea, it's just like, I just have to get somewhere. So like, you know, you got it. Yeah. But do you know, like living there for so long, I've realized I have I fully adjusted and now to I'm it. Rude. I know, and now, now I'm, I'm one, one of the rude now people. I feel so rude and people think I'm being rude. And I'm like, no, yeah. I just lived in mm -hmm. Korea. No, so I've time. fully, so I feel like I've really fully adjusted to Korean life. So, I mean, I, it's hard for me to think of the top five worst things because I've, I'm fully acclimated, but I would say, you're basically yeah, I'm partially Korean, Korean now. Point, but, um, yeah, I can't even think of five. I would just have to say, like, yeah, I would just Make have to up. say the, yeah. I okay, can add, add one, one to your list. So, okay, so I struggle with spicy mm. food. And I would admit that living in Korea, um, if you don't love spicy food, you got to get a little bit creative with what you can and can't eat because a lot of the food is spicy. And I do know, you know, um, vegan friends or friends that have special dietary needs, you will struggle yeah. a little bit in Korea. They're not, they're adapting slowly to all of that, but they normally don't understand if you need to adjust the menu in some way. Um, it's that be is really definitely a really good one. I had a problem with spicy food. I also had a problem with fish. I don't like fish. I don't like ocean flavor things. So like seaweed, things like that. When And that was really difficult as well when I first moved to Korea. And now I'm like, whatever, fish sauce, seaweed, all the things. You're like, I don't know. Yeah, what I'm exactly. Eating, but I'm like, it. I have okay. my palate has adjusted, but that was something that was very difficult when first moving to Korea. Definitely. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. Very funny that your top favorite. Oh, what are your top favorite mine, things? Anyway. <laughs> well, number oh, one. Oh, yeah. That, that's grouped into healthcare. <laughs> you that's missed grouped the most into healthcare. Is, oh, right. <laughs> Okay, sorry, <laughs> got it. <laughs> but for me, like the facial products and the um, the variety of things you can get there and just the technology they have there, I absolutely loved like every second weekend going mm -hmm. for a nice facial or doing some sort of treatment like a laser. 
Um, I really I was love just the there yesterday and the affordability of that. Yesterday, yeah. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Hong Kong is just a, another beast, and now with the restrictions here, my facials have just been pushed out, and it's obviously a lot more yeah. expensive here in Hong Kong. And they also don't have the same mm. feeling. Like I sort of feel like I'm having a spa day in Korea when I go do a facial, but here uh, it's it feels like a little bit more clinical. You know, it doesn't. Exactly. And I miss that about Korea because the music, the way you get your face massage, like you just end up relaxing. It's like a few hours of your own time. Yeah. And that's and for listeners, well, it I would may admit. sound yeah. a little bit vain, but I, it's very, very cheap. It's really inexpensive to, to so get cheap a facial. In Korea, yeah. So, so you're cheap. like, why it's would like a, I not yeah, do it? Exactly. <laughs> like if, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I also feel like, yeah, like because. Um, in Korea, like obviously beauty and all these things are such high standards normally. So if you're also around that a lot, you obviously start adapting to the culture. Like I'm from South Africa. I used to wear flat shoes all the uh, wear flat shoes all the time. And then I moved to Korea and it's like heels and you dress up a bit more. And then after a while, you sort of just get used to that. So it's also adapting to where you're living and enjoying the cultural um, things that you can while you live there because like you say back in the states or back home in South Africa you wouldn't get yeah facials no I would it's never expensive you know now here in Korea I get facials at, at minimum once a month and in the states it would maybe be like two to th- yeah once twice a year once a year maybe <laughs> two to three times a year and everything else I'm yeah. like well I can just try to figure it out at home but especially lasers everything like that is extremely inexpensive in Korea so you're like well I might as well take advantage of it I don't know if I'll be here forever exactly. so <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And another thing I would admit that I miss living in Hong Kong now is I miss shopping in Korea because at least there, there's a huge variety here. I have cheap street clothes or super expensive luxury brands. It's very hard oh. to find like a middle ground where I love the little boutique yeah. shops in Korea. I love the, like, I'm honestly struggling to shop here. I'm ending up buying online because I'm, I'm, uh, like mm-hmm. X, X small as well. So like and Zara and those big brands or like if I go to the luxury brands, they don't necessarily yeah. have petite sizes either. So it's been a bit of a pain. Yeah, Korea, shopping. shopping yeah, needs. Korea has wonderful. Basically, Korea is a really great place to spend your money. <laughs> that's, that, that's exactly. You, you should go there and you'll just end up spending a lot. <laughs> but that's the thing. The living costs are so cheap because I remember I had like a lovely apartment in Seoul, um, two bedroom, like very affordable. And then I moved to Hong Kong and for the double the price yeah. I was living in a shoebox and I was like oh my goodness but then the quality of life in Hong Kong I mean I have hikes and beaches and everything super nearby so not bad mouthing Hong Kong at all I love it but just if I had to compare that to Korea that's yeah I would I would probably agree with you you know in the yeah the standard of living I think is just um I, it's I don't know if lower is like the right way to say I guess it's just more affordable than living in Hong Kong I think it's also Mm. because Hong Kong is just so small right it's just so condensed and you know there's so many things so many more things going on there um but yeah Korea is a wonderful place to live I love it here Mm -hmm. I do love it no me too I'm I can't wait when restrictions are lifted I know come back I would and visit I can't wait yes it's been a while you get back here (laughs) 
Exactly. So, okay, enough about what we love about Korea. Let's get back on topic. So tell me more about your career, because I know that you mentioned um, you did your master's and how did you balance work and doing your MA abroad at the same time? Tell well, us a bit more about really that experience. it was really interesting. And I would like to start by saying that it's not what I did isn't necessarily for everybody. But um, if you really want to make it work, you can, which is what I did. So as I said previously, I originally came to Korea just because I wanted to take like a one to two year gap. I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. Um And that was uh, something that was very certain to me, but I just wanted to take some time off in between. So I came to Korea, but after my first year living here, I just loved it so much. And um, I had met my boyfriend, who is now my husband. So, um, and I had made so many wonderful friends and everything was just so fun here. So I wanted to come back and I was like, well, but... I need to focus also on my career and my goals, and I shouldn't be distracted by those things. Um, So I found a graduate school program here, and um, it was very serendipitous, which means like it was kind of like a a fortunate accident almost. Uh, The school that I was teaching at was right next to a graduate school. So I went to a program from Korea University. It was was at Aju University, which is a really great university in Korea, but the program was through Korea University, which is a which is a top program. And um, I enrolled and I was accepted and I was able to get really great scholarship to attend. So it was practically free. And anybody that's listening that doesn't know about Korean education or higher education, it is much cheaper than it would ever be in the United States or wherever. So you probably won't pay more than five, 5,000 US dollars a semester, but there are so many scholarship opportunities. So I basically paid absolutely nothing. And then um, I worked with my schools, plural. I, my first year I worked at one school and my second year I worked at another. And I worked with my schools and uh, they were able to be flexible with me and my schedule. And I worked with my university and tried to, you know, work around my schedule as well. And uh, it was really difficult. Um, but it was also really rewarding and fun and I'm really happy I did it. But again, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everyone else because you, for about two years, I was kind of burning the candle at both ends, as you would say, I was working and then after work, I would go to school. So sometimes before work, I would go to class and then I'd go to work and then after work, I would go to class. Um, my weekends were often spent writing papers. Papers. Um, but I graduated with my master's and um, it was really awesome. And I can, and it's even more of an accomplishment because not only did I work full time and go to school full time, I did a, I did it all while living in a different country. Um, so I feel like that's really like a personal accomplishment, um, which felt really, really, really good. But it was a difficult work-life balance. But I mean, the biggest thing that I can say is like, if you want to make it work, then you, then you just can and you just figure it out. And I feel like a lot people are a lot more willing to meet you halfway than you would think. If you think my work would never go for that, you, you don't know until you ask. Right. So, um, 
everything seems impossible until it's not. So that would be probably like my biggest uh, word of advice to people that are interested in pursuing something like that, right? You, you can ask people. So you don't, you never know until you ask um, if it's possible. So yeah, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. So true. <laughs> yeah. So anyone listening that's currently um, abroad thinking of studying in Korea, what are some of the universities you highly recommend they look into? Um, what's some, what are some of the tips you would give someone that's looking um, to Yeah, to so Korea uh, has Korea. so many universities. Um, the top universities are Seoul National. They're called the Sky Universities, S-K-Y. So S stands for Seoul National. Uh, the K stands for Korea University, which is my university. And then Y stands for Yonsei University. All of these um, universities have... Um, English programs, but there are so many more if, and it depends on really what you want to study. Seoul National, Korea, and Yonsei are all universities that would have so like if you want to study sociology you could probably do that at one of those um but i know that like for example hankook university of foreign studies has so many which is a university that i teach at has and programs um and i would also recommend if you were in like the maths or sciences or the stem field you could look at sungyun kwan university which is um a seriously top rated university and pretty much a direct funnel into Samsung. So if you want to work for Samsung, um, actually like it's like the university is funded by Samsung. So it's uh, a really great university if you really want to go into engineering or STEM or anything like that. So those are the top universities, but there are also so many more and a lot of universities have incentives to for foreign um, for foreign students, study abroad students. So um, I would definitely look into all of them, but Seoul National, Korea University, Yonsei University, Hankook University is foreign studies, or if you want to go into STEM University, all really great places and even more. There's so many I'm not even naming right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a whole long list, but I didn't even know about the Sky Universities and I lived there for so long. I guess I didn't really look into to studying there, but um, yeah, uh, that's Thanks. very interesting. Good advice, Eva. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more. I know you mentioned as well um, you're working with some companies or executives mm -hmm. regarding more CSR. Um, so tell us a bit more about the work you do with these executives and what you've learned and a bit more about the CSR. Okay, so first of all, corporate social, so CSR is corporate social responsibility and um, corporate social responsibility is really a broad concept that takes many forms depending on the company and in, um, industry that you're in. So it can go from philanthropy and volunteer efforts, um, business that benefits society, boosting your brand, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, um, you know, it, CSR in the community. But uh, it is really about uh, – creating activities in your company that help forge a stronger bond between employees and corporations and boost morale 
and employees feel more connected with the world around them and your company can really reach like for example sustainability goals um and it really becomes you your company really just doing good right just trying to be good we're we're trying you know we're trying to just do all all the good things in the world so that's what corporate social responsibility is. I touch on a lot of different things in CSR from sustainability efforts to diversity, equity, and inclusion to, um, you know, giving back or uh, employee volunteering, etc. So what I do is I work with a few executives in companies and I'm really a consultant and I do so many different things, not just CSR, but we do touch on CSR and, um, um, I work with a tech company and I work with a timber company. So very, very, very different types of industries. And what I have really learned from them is that it's very nuanced, meaning that it, it, people's, uh, depending on the industry, there's so many different things that you can do. Um, but the biggest thing is that if you really want to make a difference, then you can really, then you really, really can. For example, um, in the, t with the timber company, they're really trying to reduce carbon emissions and, um, because, you know, we need timber and they already do it, you know, they already follow the rules, they do all of these things, but they wanted to go, which, which are set up by law. And actually the laws are quite strict um, in terms of deforestation and stuff, at least the with the companies that they work with, but they wanted to go the extra step further. So we are currently setting up a program to plant more trees and to offset carbon emissions with the shipping right so there's a lot there's a lot of that but what's really important is that you're actually doing the most good instead of just doing something called greenwashing which is the perception of doing good right so something called greenwashing is where you say oh we're doing all of these wonderful things and it makes you seem like you're doing really great things but in actuality you're you're really not even if the intentions behind it are really good your efforts could be better right so that's what you really want to make sure that you're doing so that's what we're doing with the timber company with the tech company we're trying to do more tech for good so utilizing uh, the tech resources to uh, fund, um, you know, women's and girls education in STEM or get more people involved in STEM. So there's a lot of really interesting things that you can do in CSR um, in terms of, you know, the the reach that that you can get. But what I've really learned is just there's so much nuance. And in CSR, there's also a lot of gray area, right? So um, there's no one size uh, fits all corporate social responsibility model. It is really dependent on every single company. And it has to be tailored or else the program or your initiatives might not do that well. So everything has to be really tailored, but it's really rewarding and so wonderful to be working with wonderful companies that like to do these things. That's awesome. I think like going forward, a lot of companies are having to look into more sustainable ways to produce products to sort of um, help the company images and I've never yeah greenwashing green greenwashing green is, is a really big problem yeah. in corporate social I responsibility 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's not so oh, I mean, yeah. because it's very profitable right now. It's very trendy to be sustainable. Right. But um yeah, so they're putting on a facade, pretending they are, but not actually executing it. I, I've seen that as well. I feel like a lot of brands, if they are going to be sustainable or support, yeah. like I actually want to see evidence yeah, so, of that. Absolutely. On so media transparency is really, really, yeah. really important in corporate social responsibility, right? So you really want to be, if you are marketing these types of things to your clients or your stakeholders, what you really want to do is be able to back it up, right? And um, a lot of companies, I mean, here's just one statistic, for example, in oil companies, and for every $1 an oil company spends on uh, CSR or some sustainable pro- program, they will spend $10 on the marketing for it. So you're like, okay, that that's fine. That's really good. But we also want to make sure that it is just as, you know, we really want to make sure that, um, like just as much as you're working on your image, you're also working on your, uh, you, you know, your initiative, your sustainability initiative or whatever initiative you're working on and not just the perception of being a socially responsible company, you know, which is a balance yeah. because you do put money into being socially responsible. So you really do want to market that. You really want to market that. That's really important for companies to do. But it's really important that, you know, companies Mm. stay on track and just be very transparent. There's nothing wrong with wanting to market or show your community that you're doing wonderful things. That's so that's so great. And we want to know that we just also want to make sure that you are being transparent and that, you know, you're doing all of the right things, um, you know, and not just showing. Mm. Because I know from a... Yeah, because I know from a marketing perspective, I've actually chatted to a few companies that are doing cool stuff and they don't talk about it. And I'm like, well, yes, it's great if you're doing this, but you also Mm -hmm. need to let your customers know you're doing that and and, and sort of show the proof of what you've achieved with your contributions. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, transparency is key. Um, But I think, like you say, as it is a trending topic now, a lot of people are trying to jump on it and not necessarily go through it um, in the way that they should. And, and yeah, greenwashing, um, you know, green, greenwash, <laughs> greenwash, basically greenwashing the whole system. And, and I think that's why it's so much more important to, to show proof or, or be more transparent is that you can show your, your honesty and your true intentions as a company with your CSR. Um, and it's not just something that your company is trying to shift money on. Yeah, to that's absolutely to right. I would, I would absolutely agree um, with that. And people that are already doing really wonderful things and aren't showing it, I'm like, hey, that's a missed opportunity. You know, like even, you know, you, I think what a lot of companies don't realize or even what a lot of people don't realize is that you don't have to do it perfectly. You know, like everybody, it's really important that, you know, we're doing our best imperfectly rather than trying to do our best perfectly. So if you're like, Hey, you know, like we are sourcing from really sustainable places, you know, we're not exactly where we want to be, but, you know, we're trying our best. Like that's still a really good effort. And I think that, you know, people, still really want to see that and um you know stakeholders like that like that type of thing you know the constantly trying to make yourselves better or you know 
I think it's a missed marketing opportunity and I think it could potentially, I mean, it depends, like I said, there's a lot of nuance. So it depends on your industry and it depends on the company and your goals, which, you know, you would need to address. But um, most, I would say most of the time it's a missed opportunity and people really like seeing those things, Um, you know, and it could really be a lot more engaging with your brand, you know, with, with the people that you um, are trying to target. So um, you know, I think it's, it's important, you know, CSR and marketing go, go hand in hand. Um, but the, um, but really with CSR, what, what it has to be is that it really has to be like truly something that the company is dedicated to and passionate about. And CSR is something that is long-term and needs to be built into the company. Kind of, I like to say baked in, it needs to be ba- baked into the company and a part of its yeah. core values because it's really, it need they need to be very long-term. A lot of the commitments need to be long-term commitments, right? If you want to be carbon neutral, that is a long-term commitment. You know, if you want to be engaged in your community, long-term commitment, right? So, um, or sustainable sourcing, all sorts of things like that. So, um, yeah, a lot of companies uh, really um, are interested in it and it's trending now. And um, I'm really optimistic about the future of corporate social responsibility. And I really hope that in 10 years or sooner, you know, later that it's going to be uh, a part of every industry, right? Kind of like how every industry has a human resources department, right? They need to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion department or a CSR department, right? That's my hope. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the more we have to be innovative with sustainability, the more companies and people mm-hmm. are coming up with great sustainable ideas because we are now pushed into a corner of like we need to find a solution to the problem how can we better support uh, the production lines being more sustainable or shipping um, packaging or you know I know people are coming up with great ideas but at the moment it's still expensive so I think when when a lot of these um, solutions are a bit more affordable it's going to be a lot easier for companies to integrate it into their systems um, for a more long-term sustainable approach um, but I know there's some very very innovative ideas yeah and you know it's it's gonna get it's it's gonna get better and it's gonna get cheaper but like I said you know it's we have to do things imperfectly you know so like if you if you have a business and you're trying to you know yes. just do better in the world then you know you don't have to do everything perfectly do it imperfectly you know and just get better over time and like that's and that's how we yeah. make the world a better place yeah Mm-hmm. I agree just start somewhere for sure so you sound so passionate about CSR and I know you are so um, tell me why do you like CSR and what are your thoughts on finding your calling mm-hmm. as you said it's so broad um, well I think yeah, that maybe tell us you know I that. chose CSR because ultimately it's like like ultimately at the end of the day, like the essence of what you're doing is like, you're trying to make the world a better place, which is what I'm really, really, really passionate about and what I call my intrinsic motivation. So like my intrinsic motivation is something that you are internally very, very motivated by. And I really like helping people and I like having a bigger goal to get to. So, you know, I think calling is, um, 
you know, I think it can sound a little bit um, like sometimes juvenile, but um, I think that your calling is something that is like even on your hardest day is what you really want to do because, you know, there's no type of career that is going to have all good days, right? You're always going to have a really, really bad day at some point. So what is the thing that you want to do that even on your worst day, you are going to still want to get up the next day and go to work and face it? And for me, that is you know, social responsibility, um, CSR. It's also extremely broad. I can work in companies. I can work by myself. I can work with NGOs. There's so many things that you can do, but, um, you know, CSR, uh, is the belief that things can always be better. Um, at least for me it is. Um, and so even, um, you know, if you have a really bad day, you can still go back and do it. And that's what I chose to do CSR. And that's what I think about with your calling. So um, if you want to do something and you're not sure exactly what to do, I think that's the question that I asked myself. I said, what do I want to do that even on my worst day, I'd still want to go back to? And I'm like, I really like helping people. I really like having that. So that's what I did in my master's. My, my master's was on international development and cooperation, by the way. And my- uh, I didn't my, know that. <laughs> yeah. And my, my master's thesis was on corporate social responsibility. So that's what, um, that's what I chose to do. And so even on your hardest days, you know that your work will be contributing to something good and meaningful. And even if you're not the premier expert on CSR, you know, or whatever you're doing, it's a learning process and uh, you can be committed to it on your good days and your bad days. So find something, my, my, my biggest advice is to find something that you want to do even on the bad days. And that's probably the direction you want to go in. That's very good advice. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So to wrap up, I normally ask everyone to ask me a few questions as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so please take over. The show is yours. Oh, thanks, Danny. Okay, so what I want to know from you is what made you choose Hong Kong from Seoul? And are you happy that you made the, ju the jump? Well, um, I moved to Korea in 2011, and I think I lived there for almost a decade, basically. I moved, I think, to Hong Kong in 2019. Um, but, um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I made the move. I, I think after so long in Korea, it felt like home and I wasn't really learning or growing so much, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I sent out a few emails and I had a connection through, uh, someone I worked with previously when I was working on the GoPro account, when I was working for the French agency in Korea called Asians. Um, and, um, I reached out to her and she's based in China. And so she sent me an email address and I reached out to them and, um, they ended up having an offer either Hong Kong or Singapore, I mean, or Shanghai, sorry. And then, yeah. And then I, I told them I'm pretty relaxed because I, I think I knew at that time I loved Shanghai, but I, I also knew Hong Kong is a cool city. So I, I left the decision up to them actually. 
And um, then they let me know, I think a few weeks later, I got the position in Hong Kong and then I moved over a few months later. Um, so I was reaching out because I, I knew that on my bucket list, I've always wanted to get as much international experience as possible. So for me, working in another country was something I really wanted to do because I love, um, you know, learning more about tackling things on a global scale, understanding local, like localized cultures, developing different strategies um, to infiltrate each market. I've done a lot of KOL um, projects where it is on a global scale and you need people from different countries to help contribute and track like customer sentiment, be it in Spain or Germany. So working with different teams around the world is something I really enjoy. Um, so I think... Um, and obviously, I just love Asia. So, um, so yeah, so getting that international experience was really important for me. So, yeah, and then Hong Kong happened. So I'm very glad I made the move for sure. I still love Seoul, but I outgrew Seoul. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. A lot of people definitely can can out outgrow a place and I'm really happy that you made the move because you seem like you're doing really really well and um in your business what are you doing and what is the passion that drives you on your hardest days good question so I'm currently freelancing um and what I love about it is that I'm meeting so many amazing people so just through the podcast, I've met such stunning people all around the world. Um, and what I love is is seeing people growing their passion and getting over their fear and believing in themselves more. And I'm, I'm finding that it's important to have a very positive marketing message and just helping people, especially with startups, and now during COVID time, a lot of people trying to sort of build up their passions and start small businesses. It's really great for me to get involved in the beginning and, and build strategies and help them streamline their communication. And I think people are so eager now to, to learn all these types of skills for themselves that I just end up sort of building a strategy and coaching and then they just go and implement it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I like seeing that. I like seeing people sort of streamline their ideas and, and growing it. And there's so many startups, especially here in Hong Kong. Um, so I think what drives me and, and my passion is just being able to connect with people and being inspired almost every day um, that people overcame certain struggles or built up their passions or finally seeing their baby grow. You know, um, I think that just gets me excited is um, talking to people um, yeah, and helping them build their dreams, basically. Oh, that's so great. And you seem like you really love it and that you, you're really good at it. <laughs> you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I enjoy it. That's for sure. I think, um, yeah, it, it's tough if you're building strategies and not managing them. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a lot of things people would then miss or, you know, but that's where the coaching and stuff comes in as well. Um, but it's definitely been a switch because normally I would build strategies and then actually manage them for different brands. So it's been a bit of a switch of like, okay, I'm going to build a strategy and then try to train you on how to actually implement it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, so yeah, it's definitely an interesting game changer, but I think the market is needing different things during this crazy time. So yeah, yeah, definitely. 
And um, just one more question. Where do you see social media marketing and branding going in the future? Like, what do you like and dislike about where you see things going? Well, who was I talking to? I think I had a podcast a few weeks ago with Amandine, a girl based here in Hong Kong. And and she, we actually had a topic about that and how how we see that because of COVID, people are becoming a bit more real mm. and a bit more like authentic. Yeah. Um, so I like that it's shifting in that way of it's a bit more honest because, um, yes, everyone's going through different things right now and being transparent about it and having people – um, connect with you on that is great to see and you also see a lot of influencers now posting more like photos at home or like because they're not traveling the whole time anymore and it's like everyone sort of is going through the same thing so there's a bit more of a community that's going on I think on social media where where people are because everyone's going through the same thing whether you're influencer or someone that sits at home we're all sitting at home mm-hmm. now um, so I like that, that that's happening, that, that more honest sort of general lifestyle, everyone's going through the same thing. So it's a lot of bonding, I think. Um, and then I see a lot of small agencies popping up now, like obviously cause people have lost their jobs and all these things are happening. There's so much, um, free resources and online education and all of these things are, are booming. But I do think that they later on might be a bit of a bottleneck mm-hmm. and people might need to end up merging or, I mean, who knows how the market's going to change after all of this, but there's a lot of online pop-ups right now. And I think only a few will last and survive. Mm. Um, so, so that's obviously a tough reality. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. What I'm excited about is that a lot of people are seeing the importance of being relevant online and that's really growing a lot now. Um, where before offline online, like there was an importance to being present online, but now it's a necessity. Yeah. Um, so for us or people in digital marketing, I think that's great. Um, but I think again, like you say, the CSR, um, the transparency, like there needs to be a lot more depth because there are so many brands out there now. Yeah. So you need to really hone in on your niche and, and niching is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Yeah, it's a really good um, thing. And I think also like consumers are really smart, right? So like, especially, yeah. With, yeah, especially <laughs> with being sustainable and socially responsible, right? So you know, the more, you know, niche and honest you are, I think, you know, sometimes depending on your brand can sometimes be really, really, really good and set you apart from the competition. Exactly, exactly. So but but the future of, of uh, online marketing, I just think that building the community, um, being able to do more online events, utilizing um, channels that are important to your business and brand is very important going forward because I feel like we also need to start niching down on the channels where we are um, visible because if your business is, for instance, I don't know, like a product that people are searching for only on Pinterest and Google, then why do you need to be on all the channels? Like why not focus all your energy in being um, relevant 
and visible where your audience is based. Because mm. I think what's happened with a lot of brands is, you know, they, oh, we need to be on all the channels. But then if you go onto the YouTube page, there's like one or two videos. And it's like, mm, okay, you're not really relevant there, but you feel like you have the channel, but you're not doing it well. So I think as we start filtering out, yeah companies that aren't sustainable or aren't doing things we also need to start being more relevant because also what's happened is um social media and online presence is now bombarded with everything so we're going to start niching we have to start niching down like less email spams being relevant when necessary really niching down i think is, is something that will be important going forward and just building that community more than building the brand because the community will just follow brands that they believe in that have the same um yeah like yeah you know that's actually what we learn in international development that's like a huge cornerstone in international development and I think it applies to so many different things is that actually like instead of starting from the top like we have top down and then bottom up right and so like starting from the top down it's like you do everything and like then try to connect with everybody but that doesn't really work very well so but if you start really niche and start really small and grassroots build that really strong strong core or like essence of what you're doing and then build up from there um it's a lot more sustainable Mm. and long lasting Right. So, I mean, this can, oh, be, this can be applied to so many different things in life. But, yes, that kind of grassroots or, you know, niche, niche thing is really valuable. It shouldn't, shouldn't be overlooked. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Anyway, thank you so much for your questions, Ivan. It's great having oh, you on Oh, I the really show enjoyed today. myself, Danny. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I feel so special. No, I'm very excited to talk to you. And if anyone wants to reach out to Eva, um, I will link all her details in this podcast description. So please do reach out to her if you have any questions about life abroad or CSR development. Yes, I am happy to speak to anybody and everybody and, uh, you know, just give lots of great advice on living abroad and how you can be more sustainable and ethical in your business. Thank you so much for joining me and Eva as we discussed life abroad. If you're interested in getting in touch with her or me, then please feel free to do so. I will link all our information in the description of this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you're really thinking about moving abroad as it changed both our lives so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please do reach out if you'd like to be a guest on my next podcast.